Yellows the way it is. August Falchair-Rash now uh, joining us once more. Delighted to have her with us, Dr. Paula Greeley, Carlo GP. And hope you're well and not too busy a day today in the surgery, Paula. Uh, hi, Sue. Yeah, all good. Uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's, it's busy as always, uh, but we're we're doing well. Thank, thank goodness. Brilliant. You're going to talk to us today about hemochromatosis and I've pronounced it properly so far, but it's quite a a long and complicated word. Um, And how complicated a condition is it? What is it exactly, Paula? Yeah, so hemochromatosis is it's a hereditary condition um, where our body we takes in, we we get too much iron from our diet um, and this iron then is de- de- deposited in various places around the body in people who have hemochromatosis um, you know in the liver the pancreas in their heart in their joints um, and it's it's genetic so it results as a fault in what's called the HFE gene and you need to get one copy from your mum and one copy from your dad. So you need two copies of this gene for hemochromatosis to develop. And interestingly, in Ireland, it's more common um, than anywhere else in the world. So one in 83 people um, have the HFE genes. They're, they have two copies of the HFE gene and they have hemochromatosis uh, and they're liable to have too much iron in their body. And one in five Irish people carry one copy of the gene and said are, are said to be carrying. So if you're a carrier of a gene, there's a risk that you can pass the copy of the gene down to your children. And if your child has one copy of the gene from its mother and one copy of the gene from its father, they can be susceptible to developing hemochromatosis. So it's incredibly common in the Irish population. And it's something, interestingly, that we see quite a lot in, in general practice. So people might come in for blood tests. Um, they might or might not be having uh, symptoms of hemochromatosis, but it might be picked up that, you know, that their hemoglobin level in their blood might be a, t- a touch high, perhaps the ferritin level is a little high. And then doing some further investigation, it might actually transpire that they may have hemochromatosis. So in terms of myself as a GP, it's always something that I'm on the lookout in terms of, you know, could this possibly be someone with hemochromatosis um, and test for it quite a bit in people who would be um who may have a, a higher than normal iron level in their blood or hemoglobin level, which commonly people would call their iron level. So it's very, very common. Um, and what, what, I suppose, why is it such an issue? The problem is, is that normally when we take in iron rich food, you know, so things like red meat, vegetables, cereals, things like that, normally our body just takes in what we need. Okay. But people who have hemochromatosis, their small intestine, they take out all the iron that uh, that they're taking in they don't just take what they need so you get too much iron in in their body and iron then can be deposited in various different organs and can lead to some damage of their organs as time goes by so that's why it's really really important that it's picked up and then number two that it's controlled um, and the other important thing about hemochromatosis is if someone does have hemochromatosis or if they're a carrier for the gene it's important that they tell other members of their family because as I said that it is it is genetic so it's it's, um, we would often ask people whether there's a history of hemochromatosis in their family prior to us doing a genetic test to see is it a possibility. Right. And why, sorry to interrupt you there, Paula, why, why has Ireland got such a high incidence or is it a mystery? 
Um, I suppose it's thought of to be, I suppose, back in the time of being a Celtic, our, our descendants are coming from a Celtic population. And it must have been that a defect appeared in the gene back at that time and just carried through within our population. Um, again, you know, there are instances of some genetic diseases that are more common in Ireland than in other in other places, like, for example, cystic fibrosis would be another one. And again, it is thought that it is possibly in relation to, you know, that coming from that particular kind of Celtic population and carry on down through our gene pool. So even from way back when, um, again, you know, this can be, you know, our, I suppose our population are more mobile these days. So, you know, Irish people, we tend to move about and it isn't quite as, you know, as much of a of an issue in terms of geographically within certain pockets within Ireland. But, but certainly, you know, in terms of Irish people and Irish descent and the genetic gene pool that we originally would have come from, there was a defect in the gene there somewhere along the line, possibly way back in Celtic times, and it's just carried on through. God, it's fascinating. So what's the treatment then? I mean, it, it can... So maybe, first of all, um, you, you said people might not have any symptoms at all. And mm. is that dangerous or do people only have symptoms when you know, there's potential damage being done, Paula? So the symptoms start to appear, you know, some, oftentimes when people kind of get to middle age or in their 30s or 40s. Interestingly enough, um, you know, we'd see it in women later than in men because women um, menstruate every month, you know, and majority women, that is their own form of losing blood. Of so you course. lose iron every month. So um, for women, I, I would definitely see it more so coming, cropping up when they go past the menopause. And when they've stopped menstruating, um, but the symptoms are rather vague, you know, so like you might just feel tired, a bit of weakness, um, pain in the tummy, you know, uh, stiffness in the joints. Um, it's associated with diabetes because the iron can deposit inside in the pancreas. Um, and sometimes then it's picked up on, on liver blood tests because our liver is involved in our metabolism of iron. So, you know, um, the iron can get deposited in the, the liver. Um, and sometimes it can be related to, you know, rhythms of your heart and, you know, but more, most of the time it's picked up before anyone kind of has symptoms um, because iron builds up really, really slowly in our body. It's not that it happens all of a sudden. And that's why we don't see the symptoms happening until later on in life. You know, it, it would be highly unusual to see any, uh, um, any symptoms of hemochromatosis in the child because it takes a long time for that iron to build up. Um and then in terms of treatment, you know, the aim is to to start the treatment before the, the iron builds up to a level where it will be causing any, any organ damage. Um, in particular, we were quite careful about the liver. OK, so people who have hemochromatosis, we would definitely recommend that they have an ultrasound of their liver to have a little look to see what's going on um, and to see if there's any damage there as a result of the iron, iron um, deposition. Um, but thankfully, it's very, very easy to treat. OK, so first of all, picking it up is the problem. But secondly, treating it is 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 really simple. And in terms of treatment, it's taking away blood. OK, so venesection. Um, and in terms of in, in general practice, some GPs can do venesection in their practice. Uh, personally, in our practice, we don't. Um, I used to do it in the hospital back when I was a hospital and what, doctor. And what is so this? Involved... Is this literally so, taking blood from somebody? 
Exactly. Literally taking a, a pint of blood. And, you know, that brings down the ferritin level and it brings down the um, the iron level in the blood. And once someone is stable in terms of the hemochromatosis, so a blood test called ferritin is used to diagnose it and to monitor response to treatment. And what ferritin is, is it's a it's a marker of how much iron we have stored in our blood. So we all have iron stored in our blood because we don't use it all all the time. So some iron is used to make our red blood cells and some iron is stored in the form of ferritin in our blood for times when we need to make more red blood cells because we, we make new red blood cells every three months. So a high ferritin level would be used as a marker for hemochromatosis and also to monitor response to venous section. So if someone's ferritin level is very, very high, you take away some blood you monitor their ferritin level, see that it comes down. And once their ferritin level is stable, um, oftentimes the venous section can be started in the hospital. But then what's actually happened, which is brilliant, is that the Irish Blood Transfusion Board, once someone is stable, the Irish Blood Transfusion Board can take people in their blood clinics and actually take blood off them. And then that blood is then put into the, the blood pool as well. Oh, really? So it's really, really Brilliant. That's been a relatively new development. Um, traditionally, it used to be that people with hemochromatosis couldn't give blood. But now the, the blood transfusion service um, have changed their regulations. So the blood venous section can be done in the blood clinics and the, the blood, which is perfectly fine, absolutely usable blood, instead of being discarded, it's put into the, the, the pool of blood that's used. So Amazing. that's a really, really great, um, great thing. And that's and that's relatively recent because it would have been considered what that it was too high in iron or something before that, but it's perfectly I good. Suppose, yeah, I suppose we didn't know uh, enough about it as to whether the blood could have been used within the national stock, but now we know. Um, and then the other thing was is that it used to be a case that you used to have to go to either Cork or Dublin to the blood clinic to the Irish Blood Transfusion Services clinic. Um, they're non-mobile clinics. Um, but recently enough now, the mobile clinics actually are taking people for their venous section as well. So that's a, that's really, really brilliant. And it's bringing up our national blood stocks as well. OK, well, that's fascinating. One in, did you say 83 people? Yeah, one in 83 people and one in five of us will be carriers of the hemochromatosis gene. Yeah. Goodness gracious. OK, so um, is it a thing you should check out before you get married to somebody? <laughs> not quite uh, I wouldn't tick it off not the list as, as a prerequisite <laughs> for, for marriage you know <laughs> but but definitely it's something to, to know about and yeah. have a knowledge of because you know as I said it's very very common to be a carrier of the hemochromatosis gene um, and I, I suppose being aware of it number one and number two you know if your doctor is taking bloods and they, they say oh you, you have um, an iron level in your blood which is a little bit higher than the normal is there a history of hemochromatosis then you might have an idea of what they're talking about and then you know it's a case then of, of following up with investigating it to make sure that it's picked up um, hemochromatosis if it's well controlled you know it, it, like a lot of other things you know I would be very very hopeful that it wouldn't cause any lasting damage but it's about picking it up and controlling it in the first place that uh, that is, is the issue but most GPs were very tuned in to it because it is so common Okay, and it it just pops up in in a fairly standard blood test, Paula, does it? 
No. So when I'm going through my blood tests, you know, we don't routinely test for hemochromatosis because it's a genetic test, you know, and genetic tests, you know, you need written consent um, from from somebody to do a genetic oh. test. Um, and the other thing as well is that genetic tests are quite expensive. So you need a very good index of suspicion to actually carry through with the genetic tests. So when I'm looking at my blood tests, you know, my full blood count will be one of the blood tests that I'd be having a look at. Look at. And I'd look at the hemoglobin level in the blood and the hemoglobin is actually the iron part of the red blood cells. So we need iron in our red blood cells to carry all the oxygen around our body. So it's a very, very important part of our full, full blood count. And if that is above the, the range of normal, and that would trigger for me, you know, to say, look, we need to do extra blood tests on this person, looking at their ferritin level, which is their iron stores, and then looking at other special tests to see how is the iron um, stored within the body. So is too much iron being stored within the body? If they come back that there's possibility that they're getting too much iron and it's being retained and stored in the body, then we will proceed to do a genetic test. So it isn't the case that, you know, a routine blood test would, would pick this up. It may give us an indication, number one, but it, it would certainly guide us down a path where we'd have to follow to possibly investigate it a little bit further. Okay, well, look, moving on, Paula, thanks so much for that. And it's fascinating and hopefully everybody does get picked up. Um, But moving to today's news story that um, uh, some IVF, at least one full cycle of IVF is going to be available uh, to people publicly funded um, with a certain number of conditions. Good, good news. Yeah, in my opinion, this is this is definitely a good place to start. Like the free contraceptive scheme, you know, it has to start somewhere. It's not going to be it's not going to satisfy everyone all at once. But I think it's a good start because, you know, women's health funding has been severely lacking in Ireland for so long. It's brilliant that now that there's a focus on this and actually getting public funding funding for this very, very vital treatment. Um, you know, in terms of the actual eligibility criteria, certainly they were published earlier on today and I've, I've had a chance to have a very brief look at it. You know, in terms of the eligibility criteria, I would, I suppose, be a little bit uncomfortable with the, the BMI range and the and women up to 41. And then the other, I, I suppose, eligibility would be that people having, you know, no living children in an existing relationship, you know, they would be... I suppose, quite restrictive for some couples. Um, But definitely, I think this is a good place for us to start and hopefully building on future uh, funding. The other thing, I suppose, which, you know, I I have a question about is the fertility hubs. So at the moment, there's five fertility hubs in in Ireland, um, but there's no fertility hub in the southeast. So, you know, I, I really think that, you know, this is a vital service that we need within the southeast of the country. Um, and and certainly I know there's plans for a six fertility hub, so it would be great if we could get get that up and running as soon as possible. Well, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's, it's going to be provided initially in HSE approved private clinics of uh, patients choice. Um, ahead, they say, of the opening next year of the first public national advanced uh, assisted human production uh, centre. So I'm presuming kind of that'll be in Dublin. How will people be able to access it? Will they at first go to their GP, Paula? 
Yes, so my reading of it is that the GP would refer to the regional fertility hub, and that's why I'm saying that it's quite important that we had a fertility hub in this area of the country. Um, So, you know, the first point of call would be going to their GP for a referral to the fertility hub, who would then refer on then to um, the, I suppose, the assisted reproductive clinics initially or privately. Uh, And actually, I think the first one is going to be open in Cork, I believe, um, the first public one. Um, And it seems, you know, from reading the the information that was released, that they're hoping to get this up and running in September, which is quite quite close. Um, So, you know, I it really is a a, a great thing for for couples who have never had a previous cycle of IVF or have had one cycle of IVF and if they fulfill the the eligibility criteria. Um, So definitely your first point of contract will be your GP with an onward referral to a regional fertility hub. Yeah, such a such a tough thing, isn't it, Paula? And you'll have yeah. come across many people. I'm sure it's it's just such a, a very real struggle for, for couples, isn't it? Definitely. Absolutely. Mm. And I, I'm delighted that we have something that we're able to, to offer uh, publicly funded because fertility treatment It's expensive. Is, it's very, very expensive. And that can be very prohibitive to a lot of couples. Paula, as always, so great to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time, as always. Have a good evening. Good to talk to you. And Take you care. too. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much indeed. That's Dr. Paula Greeley there, Carlo, uh, GP, joining us. KCLR's The Way It Is. 